Today on the Matt Wall Show, my film, What is a Woman, has been deemed dangerous hate speech and banned by a major internet platform. But how can it be hate speech to simply ask a question? We'll talk about that. Also, Memphis is terrorized by a mass shooter who had just been let out of prison yet again. A Democrat Senate candidate's absurdly racist rant is caught on tape. And Peppa Pig goes woke. We knew that was going to happen. It finally did. And with its latest edition, the Biden administration continues to resemble more of a traveling circus than a presidential administration. All of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. Well, you know that the Biden administration has recently announced its plan to hire 87,000 new IRS, IRS agents in 2023, many of whom will be bearing arms as they hunt for you and your money, most importantly. You need to secure your savings in a tax-sheltered account now. And the good news is that Birch Gold can help you do just that. Birch Gold Group helps you hold gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account to protect you from big government tyranny and also provide you with financial stability for the future. Plus, throughout history, gold has always been your best hedge against inflation. A diversified savings can protect you from downturns in the market. If you have a 401k or IRA that's underperforming, as so many people do right now, just text Walsh to 989898, and you can convert that um, into an IRA in precious metals right now. Birch Gold Group has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, and you could be one of them. Text Walsh to 989898, and Birch Gold will send you a free information kit on diversifying into gold tax-free. Take the necessary steps to hedge against inflation today and protect your hard-earned money. Get your free info kit by texting Walsh to 989898 now. Well, the website Eventbrite is a seemingly straightforward and innocuous, non-political, it would seem. It's a service where users can simply manage and promote events or find events that others have organized and that they want to attend. Um, as the website's Twitter bio puts it, Eventbrite is, quote, a global platform that allows anyone to create, share, find, and attend events that fuel their passions. Well, as it turns out, maybe not anyone, actually. Turning Point USA is planning a screening of my film, What is a Woman? Which uh, the screening is, is supposed to be this coming Tuesday, September 13th, at West Kentucky University. They had used Eventbrite's platform to promote the screening, but soon after posting the event to the site, they received an email informing them that the page had been removed for violating the company's hate speech policies. Now, reading from the Daily Wire report on this, it says, an email from the company said, quote, we encourage our organizers to express their views and gather for a chosen purpose as long as it's done in a way that doesn't violate our legal terms. We do not permit events, content, or creators that promote or encourage hate, violence, or harassment towards others and or oneself. The uh, notice of and or oneself, that permit and encourage violence and harassment against oneself. Okay, so you can't harass yourself or other people and have an event uh, event, they're saying. The notice of removal went on to say that the event expresses views that are in violation of the company's community guidelines and terms of service. Next, the platform trust and safety team advised that the event would be removed. The community guidelines for Eventbrite further promised that they are, quote, quote, committed to providing a safe, inclusive, and respectful platform for the organization discovery of live events. Specifically prohibited content includes hateful or dangerous content or events that discriminate against or threaten any societal group or encourage violence. The section specifies content cannot be hate speech, hateful ideologies, and hateful activities that incite, encourage, or engage in violence, intimidation, 
disparagement, harassment, or threats targeting an individual or group based on their actual or perceived race, ethnicity, religion, national origin, immigration status, gender identity, sexual orientation, disability, age, or veteran status. Now, of course, my film, uh, which you know if you've seen it, and if you haven't seen it yet, go to whatisawoman.com and uh, rectify that situation immediately. But you know that my film does none of those things. There is nothing in the film that could be remotely construed as incitement or as a call to violence. In fact, nearly the entire runtime consists of me simply walking around and asking people questions. That's almost the whole film. The film actually provides a platform to many trans people and many professionals in the so-called gender-affirming industry. I give them a platform. I give them a chance to speak. I put a camera in front of them. Now, the fact that those professionals embarrass themselves and collapse under the most basic line of questioning, it's not my fault. Nor does it make the, the movie a terrorist act or an act of incitement. I gave them a chance. The whole movie is me giving them a chance. If they were not able to take advantage of that opportunity, that's on them, not on me. But at any rate, this is all irrelevant. Eventbrite claims that it's a quote-unquote global platform for quote-unquote anyone to quote-unquote create, share, and attend events. So how does my movie fall outside of that purview? Would seem like a reasonable question, and yet the company refuses to answer it. We've asked them for clarification, both publicly and privately, and so far been simply ignored. This is the way it goes, right? They won't even, they, they make a, a dramatic declaration saying that this hit film is hate speech. And then when you ask, well, can you explain that? How is it hate speech? Nothing. No explanation. Now, any far-fetched hope that this removal was a mistake, you know, um, as sometimes you, you uh, these sorts of things happen with the, with um, the, the big tech platforms. Someone's kicked off or suspended, and then they say, "Oh, it was a mistake." Now, when they say it's a mistake, it usually means that there was one kind of rogue, low-level employee who just took it upon themselves to ban somebody, and then the higher ups find out about it and they correct it because they don't want to deal with it, and then they say, "Oh, it was a mistake." Um, any hope that that might happen here has been dashed as more people have come out of the woodwork announcing that their own What is a Woman screening events have also been banned. Apparently, this has been happening for several weeks now, at least. The Wake County Republican Party planned a screening of the film back in July, only to have it removed from Eventbrite for violating its hate speech policies, supposedly. There's a man named Mark Early who uh, sent me a, a screenshot of the message that he got when he tried to post an invitation for his What is a Woman movie night. It was taken down for allegedly running afoul of the community guidelines. And then maybe most absurd of all, there's a group called No Left Turn in Education. And they had their own screening planned for later this month. Now, in their case, they were planning to screen the movie and host a discussion about it afterwards. And a trans-identified person by the name of Sarah Higdon had been scheduled to speak at the event. And yet still the whole thing was deemed hate speech. So to be clear... A movie featuring trans people followed by a discussion with trans people is forbidden because it encourages violence, presumably against trans people. Meanwhile, as one of the biggest documentaries of the year has been deemed too outrageous and controversial for this platform, they still will happily provide a forum for all-age drag shows 
Now, you could go to Eventbrite right now and search for what is a woman on the site, and you're not going to find anything except maybe some broken links where events had been planned and then were taken down. But if you search for events that bring drag queens and children together, you'll find many results. For example, there's an upcoming all-ages drag show in St. Cloud. And then there's the Union County Children's Drag Story Hour. And there's the Drag Queen Story Hour with Lil Hot Mess in Seattle and many other similar events. So that's allowed, but not a film, a documentary, one of the most talked about and widely viewed of the year. Now, when you, uh, actually, let me correct myself. It's not one of the most talked about documentaries of the year. It is the most talked about one. Now, when you hear about this sort of thing, as a conservative, and, and I think we all have this temptation, that you hear this and, and you shrug your shoulders and you say, well, that's how it goes. Of course they're going to ban the movie. What did you expect? And that reaction is understandable to a certain extent. But we shouldn't become so jaded that we fail to notice the considerable escalation happening in our culture right now. The effort to push conservatives out to the margins, to demonize and stigmatize us, Uh, These efforts have reached a new level in recent weeks, and this is not something we should take for granted or or just passively accept on the grounds that it's inevitable. A few weeks, weeks ago, we were being labeled as literal terrorists for talking about the medical procedures children's hospitals are inflicting on kids. Just to talk about it is terrorism. Then, of course, a major podcast conference apologizes for allowing Ben Shapiro to appear, claiming that his very physical presence causes harm. And then, as you know, the President of the United States appears in ominous red lighting to warn that uh, people who disagree with him politically are dangerous extremists and threats to our very way of life, our democratic system. And now we have a major event organizing website that has declared a hit film hate speech and banned it from its platform without further explanation. Now, the good news about the Eventbrite situation, however, is that we can actually do something about it. We can't stop Biden from calling us all terrorists until it's, you know, we, at least we can't stop him now. When it's time to vote him out of office, we can do that. But um, we have direct control and power here. We can let companies like Eventbrite, we can let them know that discriminating against conservatives is not acceptable. If, if all of us stopped using the platform, okay, and when I say all of us, anyone who's if, if you're a conservative or even if you're not, but you, 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 you still claim to believe in free speech, you don't like the idea of big tech platforms censoring people, if you're in that category, and that's millions of people, if we actually used the leverage that our numbers afford us, then we would have some power here. I mean, a lot of these companies would almost certainly back off because they would have to. The problem, though, is that conservatives, for whatever reason, are usually loath to use that kind of leverage. And uh, then after refusing to use it, they become fatalistic and they say, well, we don't have the leverage. Well, no, it's not that we don't have it. It's that we don't use it. And that's on us if we don't use it. I mean, what reason is there, what, what good reason is there for any of us to use Eventbrite ever again? unless they correct this, what they're doing here and apologize for it. If they don't, they've made it clear. Uh, They hate you. They don't want your business. 
And yet, if history is any indication, many conservatives will just say, oh, well, you know, I'll give you my business anyway, even if you hate me and don't want it. Here, take my money. Please take it. If we start using the leverage that we have, then we can correct a lot of things that right now we think cannot be corrected. One other point. Um, I would have little complaint about Eventbrite or any of these other platforms that silence conservative voices if they were honest about it. Okay, this is an important point. If Eventbrite came out and just said, hey, look, we're a left-wing company. We're only interested in promoting left-wing events. That's what we do. That's our business. Um, and this is why we exist. We exist to promote uh, drag shows and that sort of thing. And that, that's, that's, our, that's our deal. Now, if they said that, I mean, I, I wouldn't agree with it morally. I don't agree with anyone organizing a, a drag show or anything like that. But if they said that, uh, and they said that, you know, they, they only want to cater to half of the available market. Well, that's their business. That's their decision, I suppose. But the problem here, the real problem is that they're not being honest about it. It's an issue not just of silencing voices, but of outright fraud. Because they claim to be a platform for anyone, but they aren't. It's a ruse. It's a ploy. And then... When it comes time to banish someone to the hinterlands, rather than admitting that it's a political and ideological decision, they instead make defamatory accusations about hate speech and incitement. That's the problem. That's what makes it also especially outrageous. And now it's up to us to decide whether we're going to start holding these companies accountable. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, you know, and we talk about it on the show all the time, that the left has proclaimed an all-out war on childhood. Having a will in place, then, is the least you could do to protect your kids. There's so much else you could do, but this is a first step. A will gives you the power to decide who will raise your kids should something happen to you and your spouse. Uh, without a will in place, then the state decides what to do with your kids, and you just have to decide if you can trust the state, and I think you know that you can't. A will is about protecting your legacy protecting your finances, protecting your children as well. It's about ensuring that your medical decisions are honored when you're unable to see them through. And it's about deciding who will take on the responsibility of raising your children or caring for a parent or a grandparent. A will may be your only opportunity to direct important family heirlooms, financial investments, uh, and also responsibilities to the proper people in your life. Plus, it's an incredibly easy and affordable thing with Epic Will. Epic Will bundles your last will, living will, healthcare power of attorney, uh, HIPAA release and durable financial power of attorney. All of that comes together and it only costs $119 for a single person to create a will. When you use promo code Walsh, you'll save 10%. All you got to do is go to epicwill.com and use promo code Walsh to save 10% on Epic Will's complete will package. That's epicwill.com, promo code Walsh. All right, we start with uh, a terrible story, unfortunately. This is a report from the Daily Wire. It says law enforcement officials in Tennessee arrested a 19-year-old man after he allegedly recorded himself driving around and shooting numerous people throughout Memphis. The Memphis Police Department put out an alert on Wednesday night warning of a black male occupying a blue or silver sedan who is responsible for multiple shootings. Um, it was uh, not immediately clear how many people had been shot at the time, but now we know that, in fact, the killer, Ezekiel Kelly is his name, murdered four people in total and injured three others and again, he was just driving around, and, and, and it would seem right now shooting people at random and live streaming it 
on Facebook and some of the videos are circulating out there. I don't really recommend watching them. I'm not going to play them here. But he's, you know, babbling nonsensically and, and shooting people. So that's what happened in Memphis. Now, here comes the part that you're already expecting, especially if you listen to the opening monologue yesterday. Again from the Daily Wire. The 19-year-old Memphis, Memphis man accused of killing four and terrorizing the city for hours Wednesday night as he drove around shooting people was let out of prison after serving less than a year for an attempted murder charge that was plea bargained down to aggravated assault. So this is attempted murder that was committed a couple of years ago, and he was back on the street after attempted murder. After police captured him in a stolen car, Memphis Mayor Jim Strickland said he should have never been on the loose. Strickland said, quote, if the suspect served his full three-year sentence, he would still be in prison today, and four of our fellow citizens would still be alive. Records show the suspect was freed on March 16th after serving just 11 months of his three-year sentence. Uh, a new law, Strickland backed, which went into effect in July, may have kept the suspect locked up, but it was too late for that. The bloody spree began just before 1 a.m. and then continued pretty much for an entire day as he was going around shooting people. Um, so this, this is outrageous on, on multiple levels because three, a three-year sentence for attempted murder is already absurd, but he didn't even serve that whole sentence or, or, or even half of it. Serves less than a year. And this is the second high-profile killing by a career criminal in Memphis this week. We talked yesterday about Eliza Fletcher, the, uh, the teacher, mother of two, going for a jog, abducted and murdered by this scumbag who already had other abductions on his record and yet was walking around the streets free. In fact, there's so much violence in Memphis that reporters now are breaking down in tears about it on camera. Watch this uh, from one of the local reporters last night. And I know... Memphis is tired right now. Yeah, I'm good. I'm with you all. Memphis is tired right now. The Eliza Fletcher kidnapping and abduction and murder. The other crimes we've had this year leading up to this. It's difficult right now. Bear with me. It's a very nerve-wracking night. Yeah, and understandable. We've seen reporters and people in media cry for ridiculous reasons, self-victimizing and all the rest of it. Uh, you know, they're criticized by somebody on Twitter, Taylor Lorenz, crying about that. Uh, this, on the other hand, is an emotional display that is well justified. I mean, uh, you're a reporter, first of all, so you're, you're, so you're in the position of having to cover all these horrible things. And you also, you also live in this city that's just plagued by violence. People are exhausted by it. Uh, even those of us who don't, who don't live in these areas that are especially plagued by it, we're exhausted by it, too. Um, and there's a couple of points here. First of all, the current DA in, uh, in Memphis is, a, this is another Soros DA, right, district attorney, uh, another lackey of Soros who's brought in there and uh, is, is funded by Soros and is installed basically with the intention of creating more of this kind of thing. However, there was, I believe, a Republican district attorney before this one. 
There was a Republican district attorney that was in charge when this light sentence was passed down to begin with, which only goes to show what I, what I said yesterday, which is that this is a Democrat and Republican problem. Now, the Democrats are the worst offenders, obviously. Um, they're the ones driving the car here. But Republicans are, many of them are sitting happily in the passenger seat and going along with it. The idea that we need prison reform, uh, prison reform, which means letting criminals out of prison, the idea that there's a, you know, there's a, a problem of over-incarceration, we hear this from Republicans too all the time. This is the, you know, Tim Scott and, and others, you, you hear them talking about the over-incarceration problem. And they still will talk about that, no matter how many of these incidents we witness. Somehow the problem is that there are still there are still too many people in prison. So we've got a lot of violent people on the streets, and the solution offered by Democrats and many squished Republicans is let's let's put more of them, put more violent people on the street. Maybe this maybe the strategy is just to get. You know, you've got violent people on the street, and then you put more violent people on the street, hoping that they'll kill the other violent ones, and maybe they'll just kill each other. I don't know if that's the strategy, but if it is, it doesn't work that way. Because the thing about these violent scumbags is that, yeah, they do, they do tend to kill each other, uh, but they're also cowards. And so they also like to victimize people who are defenseless and innocent. And there's an extra absurdity of letting people out of prison after committing violent crimes when you know that they're high risk I mean, you know based on the recidivism rate already that like it's, which is 75% so you know it's almost certain these people are going to end up back in prison after committing another crime but it's not even just that you know when you you put a violent person in prison and then you let them out a few years later and they haven't gotten any better you know, and now they're going to start and they're going to commit the same crimes they were committing before. It's actually, they're going to be worse. Okay, so when you send someone to prison, they're going to come out on the other end most of the time worse. Because for all the talk about rehabilitation, and I reject the notion that rehabilitation is the primary purpose of prison, prison exists to segregate violent and dangerous people from society, to protect innocent people, and it exists to punish bad people. It exists, it's, it's justice. It's punishment. It's segregation and punishment. That's why prison exists. Now, if you can also add in some attempts at rehabilitation, especially if, if someone does have a sentence where they're going to end up back on the street eventually, then fine. That's not the primary point. But, but, but that doesn't even have. They don't even try to do that. So they, they throw these people in, in, in a prison cell, put them in an environment with a bunch of other violent sociopaths and let them kind of marinate in that for a few years and then dump them right back on the street. They're going to be worse, which is why in the Eliza Fletcher case, you know, the scumbag there, he went to, he went to jail for kidnapping and robbing somebody. And then he's let out and then he kidnaps and kills someone. So he's worse than he was before. And then we have uh, this guy, uh, whatever his name is, Ezekiel, Ezekiel Kelly, he goes to, to prison for attempted murder, and he hangs out in that environment, and then he comes out on the other end, and now he's committing actual murder. Why is that happening? Well, because that's people tend to get worse. When you have a violent sociopath, 
and you put them in an environment with other violent sociopaths, most of the time, they're not going to magically get better. They're only going to get worse. Which is all the more reason to just keep them there. Uh, Let's see, Project Veritas has another quite damning undercover video, or it should be damning anyway. This is of North Carolina State Representative Crystal Matthews, who's running for the Senate in North Carolina. And here she is on tape revealing her true feelings about her white constituents. And it might be a little bit hard to, to hear if you're listening to the audio, but we'll, uh, we'll go through some of this. Go ahead and play it. My district is heavily white. Wow. Okay, let's pause it there for a second. If you are listening to the audio version, I just want to get, get you up to speed in case you can't quite tell what's being said here. Uh, so this is Crystal Matthews, the South Carolina state representative, who is black. And she's talking about, very explicitly talking about her, about white people, white constituents. And she says that um, they get out of control and you have to treat them like children. And then she also says you have to treat them like, um, like pieces of S. Now, it's very interesting. I, you know, I hope she doesn't have kids of her own, but if she does, maybe there should be a visit from the CPS because she apparently she, she puts those two together. You treat them like children, which means treating them like pieces of S. Um, whatever that says about her parenting skills, it certainly says that she is a raging, unapologetic bigot. Let's keep playing some of this. So, you know, like for me, all these other people are tiptoeing around them, and I'm like, no, that's some white shit. I ain't doing that. They'd be like, well, I'm just going to say some white shit. And that was my problem with Bernie, because he was talking to an all black crowd, and he was afraid to say black shit. I said, if I'm talking to an all black crowd, I'm going to say black shit. If you don't like it, you can get your ass up and leave. Okay. So that was Crystal Matthews. Now, she has, uh, I, I just went and checked again to see if she's addressed this at all. Uh, maybe send some kind of tweet or something, even to, to make an excuse and say, yeah, this is taken out of context. You know, I, I, it's like as if there could be a context that would make that okay. White people are pieces of S. Um, but she's not even doing that, right? She, she's not coming up with any excuse at all. She's certainly not apologizing for it. She's ignoring it. And she's able to do that because she's she's a Democrat and she's black, which means that the media is not going to hold. And she's a woman, so she's got a lot of she's got a lot going for her identity identity wise. A lot of boxes are checked, which means she's not going to be held accountable at all. She doesn't even have to address it. She can simply just ignore it like it didn't happen. Now it doesn't need to be said, but I'll say it anyway that that if this were to happen on in the reverse, I mean, can you imagine a white politician? caught on tape talking about her black constituents and saying you have to control them like children and and treat them like pieces of crap that would be i mean that's not the end of your political career that is the end of your life you, you, your life is over you're not going to be you're out of office you're going to get impeached you're not going to certainly be elected in any other race that you run in uh, you're not going to get any other job and Probably there's going to be a, a, you know, a big FBI investigation. This will become a hate crime situation. They'd be coming up with criminal charges for you. 
And we all know that, right? We know that if it was a, a white person, that's what would happen. And yet in this case, there is no reaction at all. The media ignores it. No response, no apology, no backlash of any kind. And that is because anti-white racism is not only widespread, especially on the left and among Democrats, but um, it is the only acceptable form of racism in America. It's not just acceptable, it's considered laudable. You know what? This is not going to hurt her chances in the election. Yeah, I don't know what her chances are outside of this, what the polling data shows, but this isn't going to matter. This is going to have no effect at all. If if she's a white person, it destroys her entire life and political career, certainly in in a second just like that. But for her, it'll have no effect because the media is not going to talk about it. But, But actually, if anything, it helps her. That's how sad this is. If anything, it helps her. Because it appeals to other anti-white racists, and there are a lot of them out there. And then even among white people, there are, as sad as it is to consider, there are white people who are going to be more likely to vote for her now than they were before, especially white liberal women. So I guarantee you, we'll check back, check the polls a week from now. She's going to be polling better among white liberal women than she was before. They, white liberal women, they, they'll watch that and they're like in, in, uh, in ecstasy, practically orgasmic ecstasy, listening to a black woman say, what, say, say that they're all pieces of garbage. They can't get enough of that. Because it's an opportunity to virtue signal by nodding along and clapping and saying amen. And also these people, they've got they've, self-loathing. They've been conditioned to be self-loathing. They really do hate themselves. And so if they're treated like garbage, as Crystal Matthews says should happen, then that's a, they're into it. They like it. All right. Speaking of no accountability, this is from Axios. It says a, just listen to the, listen to the wording here. This is, you got to love this. A slip up by social media giant Snap allowed leading Democratic campaigns and party committees to unwittingly tap into a vast repository of Republican voter data to hone their midterm ads. Axios has learned. (laughs) It was a slip up. They accidentally were granted access to all of this data that they shouldn't have seen and accidentally uh, it it, it honed their their ads. I mean, they, they actually got access to the data and used it in their ads, but it was an accident. They kind of they were walking along and they tripped in a puddle, and next thing you know, they had their midterm ads, which they had designed based on data that they were illegally accessing, all by accident. That can happen if you're a Democrat, right? You can you're walking along and you and you slip and trip into a puddle of illegal data that you shouldn't be seeing. Um, there's no indication that Snap was aware of or facilitated that data sharing. Well, of course not. Of course not. And the company said it's taking steps to rectify the oversight. But the blunder underscores the sensitivity surrounding reams of voter data that have become a highly valuable political commodity. Uh, the Snap snafu impacted data maintained by both Republican and Democratic data firms, records show, though its use by political groups was significantly more prolific on the Democratic side. This is one of those you got to laugh so you don't cry situations. Um, you know, 
more more of the double standards. If this if this is a Republican and Republicans are accessing this data and they're honing their midterm ads based on it, then this is a stolen election. This is the end of democracy. But if Democrats do it, it's a snafu. It's a it's a mix up. Oops, sorry about that. My bad. And the thing that uh, offends me about this is how our intelligence is insulted. Now, the fact that Democrats are um, up to their usual dirty tricks, it doesn't surprise me. But don't insult my intelligence. Much in the way that Eventbrite is insulting our intelligence. Expecting us to buy this. Oh, it was just a mistake, that's all. This is from E! Online. It says, Penny Polar Bear is very excited to share about her parents. For the first time in its nearly two-decade-long run, Peppa Pig has included a same-sex couple. The moment comes during the episode entitled Families, which aired on Britain's Channel 5 on September 6th. The short scene happens when Peppa's classmate, Penny Polar Bear, discusses her family during the school day. Uh, I'm Penny Polar Bear, she says, as she draws a photo of her two mothers in a dress. I live with my mommy and my other mommy. One mommy is a doctor, and one mommy cooks spaghetti. I love spaghetti. So this is uh, quite a lot of celebrating happening on social media and in the media today as uh, Peppa Pig has, has now included a gay couple. Another one bites the dust. Another one goes woke. I, I can't say I'm surprised by it. I knew the day was going to come. It is, a, it is especially upsetting for me because I have, have always found Peppa Pig to be one of the least objectionable, and by that I mean least annoying kids shows. Uh, most, even taking the wokeness out of it completely, most kids shows are totally obnoxious and stupid, and I, I can't even be in the same room as them. Paw Patrol, that sort of thing. And also the, the animation is just ugly and lifeless, and, and everything about it is, is terrible. Peppa Pig I've always found to be, you know, tolerable. It's got a little bit of a charm to it, and there are, there are moments here and there, a little bit of sly kind of humor for the adults, and not much of that, but a little bit. But mostly it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a seemingly nice kind of innocent show for kids. And I, can, and I can be in the room while it's on without wanting to jump out of a window. But of course, I knew that eventually this would happen. It can't, you know, anything that exists for kids, any kind of kid entertainment, kid content, eventually they'll get around to it. And now they have with Peppa Pig. Now, there are two moves that the left always pulls with these sorts of things, very familiar. And they're already pulling these moves here. In this case, where they say to any critics, like anyone like myself who criticizes the inclusion of a you know, gay subplot on Peppa, Peppa Pig, what they'll say to us is, number one, why do you care so much? Why do you care? Why do you make such a big deal out of it? And then the other thing they'll say is, this isn't political. There's, there's, there's no agenda here. It's just, it's just uh, you know, they're just showing that gay people exist. Well, neither of those narratives are going to hold in this case because of this. Continuing with the um, e-online story says, the inclusive storyline has been a long time coming. In 2019, a petition called for the show to feature same-sex couples so children at, quote, an impressionable age can be educated on them. Right? Because this is what you want when you have your four-year-old watching Peppa Pig, you want, them, you want her to be educated on same-sex couples rather than being educated on, you know, one, two, three, ABC, that sort of thing. No, you want them to be educated about sexuality, says the petition. It, it went on, the petition did, excluding same-sex families will teach children that only families with either a single parent or two parents of different sexes are normal. 
This means that children of same-sex parents may feel alienated by Peppa Pig and that other children may be more likely to bully them simply through ignorance. Well, except that, first of all, uh, single-parent households and same, uh, you know, different-sex two-parent households are the normal. Those are the normal households. So just like Statistically, it's just a fact that those are the normal arrangements in our society and, in fact, in the, the whole history of human civilization. That's a, that's a statistical reality. But the fact that there was a petition, okay, so you're petitioning, and there were, I think there was like 30,000 plus signatures on this, of people on the left petitioning for lesbian characters in Peppa Pig. The fact that there's a petition means that no, you, you, can't, you can't hit us with the, well, why do you care so much? You obviously care quite a bit. You petitioned for it. You care so much about the sexuality of cartoon characters in preschooler shows that you, you had a petition for it. And we also know that the characters are not being included just because that's the story that the, that the people who make the show want to tell. They're doing it in response to a political petition. So if you're on the left, you obviously care about this, and it is a, it is a political, ideological move. That's an absolute fact, given that it arises as a result of a petition. And now, you know, it, the parents just have to decide. Do you want your kids watching shows that are, you know, where the plots are created based on left-wing petitions? The answer for me is certainly no. And we're rapidly getting to the point where there are just no shows at all that my kids can watch. And maybe that's not such a bad thing because there are other things to do than watch TV. All right, speaking of, we're going to stay in the realm of uh, television here. This is from The Hollywood Reporter. Here's the headline. It says, Rings of Power cast slam racist threats against performers. Middle Earth is not all white. So they're, they're claiming that there have been racist threats by by fans, you know, by people in the audience, because some of the characters in this uh, new Lord of the Rings series are black. There are threats. They're saying that in the headline. And so you go to the, to the, the body of the article, and you, know, you may expect that maybe they'll provide some evidence of these threats. Like, what do you mean by threats? Are, are there actually, are there pitchfork mobs showing up at these people's houses? Are, are, they, are they sending actual death threats? Like, we're going we're to kill you because... You know, this, this character is the wrong race, according to us? Is that actually happening? Well, here's what the, uh, the article says. The cast of Prime Video's The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, is united in speaking out about racist threats that performers from the show have apparently faced. Apparently. A message posted to the project's Twitter account Wednesday strongly condemned racist reactions to the series' cast members of color. Uh, the statement emphasized that despite online criticism to the contrary, author J.R.R. Tolkien created a multicultural world in which individuals from different backgrounds and races could join forces for good. Quote, we, the cast of the Rings of Power, stand together in absolute solidarity and against the relentless racism, threats, harassment, and abuse some of our castmates of color are being subjected to on a daily basis. We refuse to ignore it or tolerate it. The message continued, J.R.R. Tolkien created a, a world which by definition is multicultural, a world in which free peoples from different races and cultures join together in fellowship to defeat the forces of evil. 
We see how they're retconning, right, uh, Lord of the Rings. And now all, all of a sudden now, Lord of the Rings was a story of multiculturalism. It was, it was a story of, it was a story of, it was actually a story all about diversity, inclusion, and equity. Now, Tolkien himself never said that, never used those words at all and wouldn't have, um, never made any, any indication that's what the story's about. But that's, that's, that's what the story's actually about. They know. They know better, better than he did. Now, two things. First of all, uh, I don't believe this. Okay, so I'm, I'm calling BS on this. I don't believe there have been any threats at all. And the reason I don't think there have been any threats is because if there have, we, we would see them. They would show us. Okay, they're not getting death threats because of the race of the characters in the show. That's just not happening. I invite them to prove me wrong, but I don't believe it, and I have no reason to believe it. And as far as racist harassment and criticism, that's not really happening either. You can go online. We talked about this yesterday. You can go online. Go to Rotten Tomatoes. You can go to where the fans are talking about this, and they are criticizing the show, but the criticisms are almost entirely centered around the fact that, according to many fans, the show is boring. They don't like the script. That's, that's what it's about. But the second point is this, that th- th- this is clearly part of the reason that these shows make diverse, quote-unquote, casting choices to begin with. Because we've seen this over and over and over again. It's the same story over and over again. They hire a black actor to play a role. Um, and people in the audience don't really care about that. They don't talk much about it. But maybe they, they criticize the film or the show just in general because they don't like it. And then the people behind the show turn around and attack their own audience for being racist never providing any evidence that there is any significant racist backlash at all, but just claiming that it's happening. And then they attack their own audience, calling them all racist. In other words, they are the ones who make an issue out of the races of the actors. It's the show and the actors themselves and the producers. They make an issue out of it by assuming that anyone who criticizes the show must be criticizing it for that reason, even if they don't say so. The audience doesn't make an issue out of it. They do. As always. Now let's get to the comment section. Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby gang. All right, so uh, just a quick update. I, uh, I did show my son the video of our, our little show-and-tell session here yesterday, and I proved that I did display his artwork, as I promised I would. And I can report that he was very happy about that. Um, he watched the clip with a, with a big smile on his face. And then, um, but then he became oddly intense about it, and actually he, he, he lifted his, hair, his, uh, his hands in the air and threw his head back and screamed triumphantly and then ran out of the room shouting back that he was going to make more drawings for me to show also. So he didn't actually make the other drawings because he got, I think he went upstairs and saw his Hulk toy and got distracted by that. But uh, I don't know. I may have created a monster here. Pretty soon my whole show is just going to be a showcase for my children's artwork. That's what the whole show is going to be. Because I also know that my, my other kids, because they're aware of this now, and so pretty soon I'm going to start getting from the other kids, well, why aren't you showing my artwork, Daddy? Now, what am I going to do there? I can't say, oh, I'm only going to show, I'm only going to show his because his is better than yours. So this is, this is where we're heading. Which honestly, given the state of the world and the kind of news stories we have to talk about, 
may not be such a bad thing. Uh, all right, this is from Sean. It says, there was an incident several years ago where a First Nations street thug tortured a white miner to the point where they had permanent scars on them, and the judge still ruled that his indigenous heritage needed to be taken into account for his sentence. According to the judge, colonial oppression probably factored into his actions, so he was almost as much a victim. Yeah, this is, and I've, I've gotten a lot of messages from people in Canada kind of telling me, like, you don't know the half of it when it comes to our, our, our justice system up here and how, how ridiculous it is. But um, I have heard a lot of stories just like this where, and this is why the people that went on the stabbing spree up in Canada, you know, part of the reason that they were on the street, the one guy, 59 criminal convictions, still on the street because he had indigenous heritage, which means that by law in Canada, apparently, uh, you're going to get, they, they factor that in as a, it's a mitigating factor. Uh, and now they did, another update is that they they found uh, the one guy, his, his brother, they found dead because he was probably killed by the other brother. And then, uh, but the one with 59 convictions, they did find him. Though I think he's now dead too. I have to check on that. Hopefully he is. But either way, if they found him, took him alive and convicted him, like the most he would do, even after killing 10 people, would be about 25 years in prison, according to Canadian law. But I wouldn't be surprised if he got less than that. And also, the other thing is that like, even if it was true that someone is a violent criminal, um, in part because of systemic racism and oppression that they faced as a First Nations person, even if that was true, that, that, that still means that they're dangerous. Like, I don't buy that at all. I don't buy it as a mitigating factor. I don't buy that excuse. Okay, if you make a decision to be a violent scumbag, then that's on you. So a history of oppression, even if you did experience it, it doesn't provide any, any excuse for you. But either way, the fact is that you're, you're still a danger to society. It doesn't matter why you did it. This, this is one reason why I've, I'm, I've never liked the insanity excuse. I don't, even, I don't even like that. Somebody goes out and kills people, and then they plead insanity, and the judge determines, that, oh, they, 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 didn't, they, didn't, they weren't mentally culpable. They didn't understand what they were doing. They're still a danger to society. They still need to be segregated from society forever. Arguably even more so now, because we can never trust them back on the street again. If, they're, if they can't control their own actions, by your own testimony. Um, Ruth says, it's not the man I fell in love with. The, the flannel was what totally sold me. My life has not been the same since the flannel disappeared. Everything has turned bland and flat. Only you can save me, Matt. I feel like this is getting, look, I take everyone's emotions seriously. You know that. I would never be dismissive of anybody's emotions. That's not what I'm all about. But I do feel like this is getting maybe a little bit melodramatic. I don't know. Um, Chris Sharp says, according to our justice, justice system, it's better that a thousand guilty men roam free than uh, one guilty man be locked up. That, that is how they, you know, but, but even the, and we, this is, this is a, an excuse that we're often given for why we have to get rid of the death penalty. Um, they say that, uh, well, you know, it's better to have, it's, it's better to have a, a thousand guilty men go free than, than to accidentally execute one innocent person. Uh, I'm not totally sure I actually buy that, if that's true or not. Um, 
I certainly think that that's, that is, that's an argument that needs to be defended, and it, it often is not defended. It's just stated like it's self-evident. Because the problem is that, yeah, to, to execute an innocent man is a terrible injustice. But there are consequences to letting the guilty men go free. It's, it, mean, it means that other innocent people are going to be killed. Graham says, serving 20 years of 24 years is significant, to be fair. That's over 83%. That's higher than normal for most offenders. But why wouldn't he serve the entire term? Okay, the guy that ended up killing Eliza Fletcher. Yeah, he did serve. He went to jail in 2000, got out in 2020. I think it was. But why would they cut his sentence short at all? Armed robbery and kidnapping. I mean, why wasn't he given life in prison, I think is the first question. But, okay, 83% of the sentence. Why not 100%? That's never justified. And the thing is, the parole boards are never held accountable for this, and they never have to explain anything. Lack of accountability is the theme here on the show. Well, another long week is uh, slipping by without bringing home my giant walrus. Morale is low. Outlook is grim. This has dragged on for Years now, it feels like. In addition, it has come to my attention that the Johnny the Walrus plushie is officially one of the fastest selling items we've ever offered in the Daily Wire shop. So everyone else is getting their walrus. I still have not, but I'm glad that you all are getting yours. While I take solace in the fact that so many of my sweet babies are receiving their own, I also realize that I've found myself in the precarious situation in which my walrus's captors have discovered the monetization of my suffering is uh, incredibly lucrative for them, which I'm a little bit worried about where that goes in the future. In any case, go to dailywire.com shop right now to take uh, one of your very own adorable Johnny the Walrus plushies home today. Also, like most of you know, last month I released the 1,000th episode of The Matt Wall Show. 1,000 episodes is uh, it's a massive milestone in my career, but it's also just the beginning. If you want to see one of the most important things I've ever done in my, in my lifetime, you have to check out my documentary, What is a Woman? You might not be able to find it on Eventbrite, but you can find it at whatiswoman.com. It has more than 5,000 audience ratings on Rotten Tomatoes and even five reviews from critics who were brave enough to touch it. Uh, just five versus 5,000. Kind of pathetic, but at least they said something about it. Just in the month after we released What is a Woman? The Daily Wire gained more members than at any other time in our history. It's the most successful thing we've ever done as a company. And uh, I think one of the most important as well. Just goes to show that if you make something worth watching, unlike most Hollywood films, people will watch in droves. If you haven't seen it yet, go to whatisawoman.com to watch it right now. That's whatisawoman.com today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Yesterday, the Biden administration's new monkeypox coordinator addressed the media to provide an update on the fight against monkeypox. Now, when you hear the phrase monkeypox coordinator, your first reaction is probably to laugh because it sounds funny, and that's totally understandable. It does sound funny. Your second reaction is, is probably to wonder why we need a special coordinator for fighting monkeypox. As of last week, over, over several months of dealing with the outbreak, the United States has seen one, yes, precisely one, monkeypox-related death. So this is not an especially serious disease. It's not especially widespread. Uh, it's, it's not especially lethal. And most importantly, it's not all that easy to catch. We don't need any special coordination here. We don't need anyone to help us strategize how to avoid monkeypox. All we need to do is refrain from attending gay orgies or other similar events. And if you do that, if you refrain from attending those kinds of events, already your chance of emerging from this outbreak unscathed and unpoxed 
will have risen dramatically. Be that as it may, the White House has decided to make this a special priority anyway, and I imagine they're making it a priority partly because it's a disease that almost exclusively impacts the administration's most favored group, and also partly because the disease is such a non-issue for most people and so comparatively mild, even for most of the people who do contract it, that it allows the administration to claim victory without even really doing anything. It's sort of like if they created a, a, uh, an asteroid response team and then took credit for every day that goes by without us all being obliterated by a giant rock from outer space. That's kind of the idea. There are many political reasons why this position exists and was filled by a man named Dimitri Daskalakis, who had this to say yesterday at the press conference. So I think, you know, this, this virus transmits through very close skin-to-skin -skin physical contact, often in the setting of sexual exposure. But um, there are other mechanisms for its transmission, including if you touch objects that individuals who've had monkeypox touch, or if, um, if you have prolonged exposure to respiratory droplets. With that said, signaling to people um, who are in the gay, bisexual, other men who have sex with men communities, and also transgender people who have sex with men, that it's really important to have awareness that it's circulating in the community is really a critical part of the messaging while not generating um, you know, inordinate concern and really focusing on the infection as linked to an identity. So it's just an infection. It's not linked to an identity. It just happens to be in the social network. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, the monkeypox strategist is concerned about people who are in the gay slash bisexual slash other men who have sex with men communities. And he needed to include that last category to encompass all of the men who have sex with men, but are not gay. Now, it's very important, uh, just as we, we, you know, we don't want to forget about all of the people who eat meat, but are vegetarian. Or those who fly planes, but are not pilots. Or those who gather in groups of two and two, but not four. I mean, this is all very important. Yet the point about Daskalakis that is getting most people's attention is that... Um, he apparently got this job at the White House after dabbling in the world of gay bondage gear modeling. There's a photo that's gone viral of Daskalakis uh, posing with his shirt open, revealing a leather harness underneath. Now, Tom Elliott over at Grabian dug up other photos of uh, Colonel Monkeypox in various states of undress and donning various leather getups. I'll, I'll spare you the visuals, but you can't help but notice a, a pattern here. After all, this guy joins an administration that also includes Rachel, Rachel Levine, who's the trans health secretary, also passionate advocate of child sterilization and castration. And then we can't forget about Sam Brinton, who's the Department of Energy official and dog fetishist, who also enjoys posing uh, in, uh, in, in leather online, and except in this case, dressed as a dog or, or no, well, he doesn't dress in a dog. He's groping other men who dress as dogs. In fact, while we're on the subject, a few weeks ago, the National Pulse found something even more damning and disturbing about Britain. Reading from their report, it says, a recent high-level hire at the Department of Energy's Office of Nuclear Energy defended a controversial gay prostitution website with a track record of allowing children to be promoted for sexual services on the platform. This can all be revealed by the National Pulse. In an article published on September 15th on the pro-LGBT plus website Advocate, Biden's latest top nuclear hire dives into a defense of the rentboy.com website, which shuttered following an August 2015 illegal prostitution raid. Rentboy is a colloquial term for young men who have sex with older men in exchange for money, often under dubious circumstances. The article followed Department of Homeland Security officials raiding Rentboy's Manhattan offices and arresting Chief Executive Jeffrey Horant and uh, six employees on charges of promoting prostitution. 
The following year, the CEO of the site, which connected male prostitutes and escorts with, with potential clients, was indicted on a charge of promoting prostitution, which he ultimately pleaded guilty to. The U.S. District Court of the Eastern District of New York's indictment also revealed the site's negligence regarding underage sex work, particularly across Asia. It detailed how Rent Boy employees described the age verification process as a gray area, as they did not always remove advertisements when the advertisers failed to provide identification. Now, in spite of all this, Britain, who, again, now works in the Biden administration, steadfastly defended the underage prostitution site, writing, quote, sex work disproportionately affects the LGBT community. Transgender people engage in sex work at a rate 10 times that of cisgender women, and many LGBT youth engage in sex work just to survive. A 2013 Center for American Progress report suggests that LGBT youth are more than three times as likely to have, to have engaged in survival sex. That's what they call it now. The dissolution of Rent Boy is more dangerous than the website ever was. The Rent Boys weren't harming anyone. But now these young men might have to return to communities and homes which have rejected who they are. And that's when the real danger begins. Yes, the real danger begins when kids are rescued from prostitution, Britain claims. This is about the sort of ethical insight we might expect from a man with a fetish for dogs, I guess. So what does it say that these are the sorts of people being put in the White House? Well, it says, of course, that we're in our late stage empire phase as a country. It says that we're the laughingstock of the world. Um, it says that we, at this point, are basically begging for China to invade and conquer us, which I'm increasingly convinced they could do with relative ease, but they may judge it not worth the effort, given that we're already economically enslaved to them anyway, so what's the point? It also says that the Biden administration is obviously not focused on solving any of the problems that Americans are dealing with in the real world. They're too busy scouring gay fetish forums for their next hire. And it says something else, too. This is maybe the most important point. It says that the left is no longer interested in making any effort to mask their depravity and extremism and degeneracy. They're now putting it on full display for all of us to see. And while that's quite disturbing to have to witness, and it's also a scary thing that, the, that these people are in charge of the country, uh, it's also good that they're putting it out there for, for us to see now and giving us a choice to make. Is this what we want? You know, do we want people running the country who you know, engage in dog fetishism? Because that's what the left is. That's what the left has been for many years. The difference is that now they're out in the open about it. Yet even still, I must say that the monkeypox coordinator is today canceled. And we will leave it there for this portion of the show as we move over to the members block. And I uh, hope to see you there. If we don't, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.